was most pertinent to the meeting. And so they transcribed the message and mailed it to us. We had it printed up. This is on the benefits of public ministry. And those are back in the back by the offering box and in the book rack as well. If you want to, uh, want to pick those up, take them with you. Okay, from the, from the mailbox this morning, uh, two new countries. We're up to 96 now. We got our first letter of request from Jamaica and our first letter of request from uh, Malaysia. And so we thank the Lord for that. This first one says, Greetings to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is my humble request that you send me a copy of your cassette titled The Brazen Serpent, which I listened to at the hand of a friend and many others that will help me to live a Christian life here. I would be pleased if you could get me other information on the new birth and on the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your generosity to send them to me. May God bless all of you at the Bible Baptist Church. And this man who got a tape from his friend and wants some more lives in Tripoli, Libya. Thank the Lord, Gaddafi can't stop the gospel from, from getting in. This says, Greetings in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is John. I'm from the island of Borneo, known as Sarawak in East Malaysia. I'm a Malaysian Chinese. My wife is a native of Borneo. My wife and I listen to your sermons, Saved Like the Devil and the NIV, over our computer. And we enjoyed it very much to hear the sound preaching and doctrine. I got to know of your site through Bible Believers homepage. We are Bible Believers here in Malaysia. We hold strongly to the King James Bible. It is really a lonely stand in this part of the world. We like your place because it covers various issues of concern and is edifying. We would also appreciate if you would, could cover certain books of the Bible systematically or maybe topics like typology and scripture, keep up the good work. Well, we've already done it. We've sent a catalog along in the mail. Then this uh, from England says, At last our magazine is printed and on its way out. Our prayer is that God will use it to speak to many. A copy will be posted to you this week, God willing. Uh, we have included articles from your book by definition. We have made some editorial adjustments in the vocabulary because American English and UK English are different. We have not changed anything that you have said. Our sincere thanks for your kindness and allowing us to reprint from your books without obligation. We have recommended your books to our readers and hope that you will be getting some mail. So that's a good letter there from, uh, from England. And this letter says, Oh, the joy that fills my soul. We have just received a container of the book's Sure Foundation. We are rejoicing. These books will be a treasured asset to our Bible schools and students. We greatly appreciate your sacrifice in sharing these very helpful books with the people of Zambia. So the books are arriving, and we thank, thank the Lord for that. All right, from Brother Brad Roberts. Two letters, one from a week ago and one from this week that is a follow-up. Brad is our missionary in France, doing a great job there for the Lord. Greetings. Are things getting worse, or am I just imagining things? This afternoon, I thought I would take advantage of some of my free time and head uptown and preach out of schedule. Usually, I preach in this spot Fridays, actually for nearly 10 years. This afternoon, I really got into a conflict and request your prayers. Up until today, I have had perfect liberty here in Poe, as many know, as a public minister. Well, this afternoon, one of the vendors made a complaint to the police, and what a scene. 
This fellow who sells magazines and newspapers along with porno trash came out hollering, trying to drive me off, waving a magazine on sects. In France, you are a Roman Catholic or you are a cult. That's, that's the only two options. Everything that is not Roman Catholic is a cult. They use the word sect over there. He has grown to hate me over the years. Anyway, the cops finally arrived on the scene, about six altogether, to close down my ministry. This fellow told them I was hurting his business. Knowing my street preacher's rights, Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 4, I welcome the standoff. says, uh, yielding pacifieth great, great offenses. And uh, Brad interprets that verse as don't yield or they will greatly offend the Lord. However, they said next time we see you, uh, we are taking you away and giving you a fine. You don't have the right to holler in the street. It appears to be more serious than just changing corners. Well, I'm no Paul or Silas. But I can't give up that easy. Anyway, I spent part of the afternoon in prayer, decided to get with another brother and go down to the police station to look into the matter. This particular brother proposed a Christian lawyer of his family who would know the law and what I'm up against. Anyway, we'll be meeting again tomorrow with the police. I don't know what the outcome will be. Please remember to pray for your brother Brad in France. Here's the follow-up letter. Greetings to each and every one once again from France. Like always, may this letter find you all well and still earnestly contending for the faith. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I continue to solicit your prayers on my behalf. Funny how many French words each, each passing month. He's got more and more French words that work their way into his letters. He's got solicit with the French uh, spelling here. I guess he would say that's a French word that's crept into English. But anyway, he says, uh, as you know, I've been up against opposition these past few days out street preaching. I've been threatened by the devil in uniform to be fined and hauled in. <laughs> it is definitely not the same street preaching under these conditions. At any rate, I humbly went down to the marketplace Saturday morning to preach and distribute some tracts. Now, uh, Wednesday is when he had the trouble. Thursday is when he went to meet with the police. So this is Saturday that he went back to the market. Uh, upon my arrival, it looked like someone laid out green carpet in the huge parking area. As I proceeded uptown by foot, I thought someone had unloaded an ice truck on the curve. Continuing to walk further, I realized what had happened, seeing the entire streets lined with ice balls in August. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. I'm not saying the Lord did this for me, but it sure was a great comfort. God ra rained hail the size of chicken eggs on the marketplace Saturday morning here in Poe, and on the surrounding villages. There was extensive damage. Hundreds of tile roofs were struck. Many windows broken out of homes and cars. The fire department is still covering roofs with plastic tarps. The local journal reported millions of francs worth of damage. One man was seriously injured when he was struck by an ice ball on the head trying to save his possessions. The journal reported using Bible language that it seemed like something out of the times of the apocalypse. It's certainly good to be on the Lord's side. <laughs> That's something, isn't it? <laughs> Go out there that mar chicken egg size hail. That's big stuff, man. That would hurt. Earlier this month, I invited a young couple out to the house for dinner. They came on a motor scooter from town. I asked them if they were to have an accident on their scooter. Are they sure they would go to heaven? The young man was eager to listen to the word. I gave them each a Bible. Less than a week later, the young man had a crash on his scooter. He was not hurt, but he came back for more Bible study. <laughs> Pray for David and Crystal. They might come to know the Lord. Also, two new people have showed up on Sunday morning at the meeting. One man is from the island of, of uh, Reunion. 
I met him in a parking lot. The other is a brother who's a little discouraged with his current church. I've been doing a little preaching on the internet these past months. Right in the middle of the filth, pornography, and prostitution, I put an ad in there with biblical counsel on marriage. Good idea, brother. Tell you, Brad, listen, Brad's not only a, a zealous servant of the Lord, he's a smart fella. He's always figuring out a way to get on the devil's territory and take a stand for the Lord. I tell you, he just got a real knack for it. He's a great guy. Um, I have had three inquirers. It is so good to hear stateside news. Also, keep in contact. Drop a line when you can. Wednesday is our anniversary, 15 years of marriage. Sylvie really needs your prayers for salvation. Thanks for everything, and keep me on top of your prayer lifts. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, your brother, Brad Roberts. That's really good. I'll tell you, just the more you hear from Brad, the more you just admire the guy. Just, just, just a great guy. Well, here are, some, uh, <laughs> here are some tips from Martha Stewart that didn't make it onto her TV program. Old telephone books make ideal personal address books. Simply cross out the names and addresses of the people you don't know. Fool other drivers into thinking you have an expensive car phone by holding up an old TV remote up to your ear and occasionally swerving across the road and mounting the curb. Avoid parking tickets by leaving your windshield wipers turned to fast wipe whenever you leave your car parked illegally. <laughs> no time for a bath? Wrap yourself in cellophane masking tape and remove the dirt by simply peeling it off. <laughs> Apply red nail polish to your nails before clipping them. Red nails will be much easier to spot on your bathroom carpet. And finally, this would have been a great episode. If a person is choking on an ice cube, don't panic. Simply pour a jug of boiling water down their throat. <laughs> Presto, the blockage is almost instantly removed. <laughs> Say, that woman also comes up with great ideas, doesn't she? She's really sharp. I guarantee you there'll be more of those floating around in days to come. That'll... All right. You know, it used to be you told, you told ethnic jokes, and then that got to where you couldn't do it anymore. And, and uh now I guess about the only people you can tell jokes about are white southern males. That's the only safe territory anymore. They're into this blonde kick now. So every, every, all the jokes you grew up with along one line, now they're all being told along the lines of blondes. So just, just fill in the blank. An Irishman, a Mexican, and a whoever you're allowed to tell a joke about were doing construction work on scaffolding on the 20th floor of a building. They were eating lunch, and the Irishman said, corn, beef, and cabbage. If I get corn, beef, and cabbage one more time for lunch, I'm going to jump off this building. The Mexican opened his lunchbox and said, burritos again. If I get burritos one more time, I'm going to jump off this building. The opened his lunch and said, bologna again. If I get a bologna sandwich one more time, I'm jumping too. Well, the next day, the Irishman opened his lunchbox, saw corn, beef, and cabbage, Jumped, jumped 20 floors to his death. The Mexican opened his lunch, saw burritos, he jumped too. The, whoever you're allowed to tell a joke about, opens his lunch, sees the bologna sandwich, he jumps to his death also. At the funeral, they had a joint funeral, the Iron Workers Union did. 
The Irishman's wife is weeping. She said, if I'd only known how tired he was of corned beef and cabbage, I never would have given it to him again. Mexican's wife, also weeping, said, I could have given him tacos. I could have given him enchiladas. I didn't realize he hated burritos so much. Everyone stared at the third man's wife. She said, hey, don't look at me. He makes his own lunch. <laughs> that's, that's really... <laughs> Like I used to work with that guy. <laughs> That's pretty good. I thought you guys had all heard that before. All right, Matthew chapter 24. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians, but uh, we got something really major that's come up, and I think we need to deal with it. As you know, if you turn a six upside down, it looks like a nine. And so the prophecy preachers, who don't preach prophecy, they preach the newspaper, warned us that on 6-6-99, we would have a mini preview of the Y2K collapse. And of course, you remember how disastrous things were on June the 6th around here when absolutely nothing happened. But not embarrassed or thwarted by being proven false prophets, they backed up and ran at it even harder. And folks, we are really in trouble this week because when the computers see 9999, all revelation is going to break loose. It's just going to be chaotic. And this week we will get a major preview of what's going to take place New Year's Eve with the Y2K collapse. And personally, I believe that we will get a major preview this week of what's going to take place on New Year's Eve. But um, I went back and I dug out some notes from a sermon that I preached 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, I read to you a collection of prophecies and predictions that proved that Jesus Christ had to come by the year 2000 because of the following. I'm not going to give you all of those this morning, but I'm going to give you a majority of them. And the majority of them did not happen. I have a book, one of the, one of the most interesting books in my, in my vast library is a book by a man who was the Jack Van Empey of his day, the, uh, the prophetic spokesman of his day, a man named Salem Kerbin. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. He put out the Salem Kerbin reference Bible, and he was a big prophecy teacher. That book is called I Predict, and it is 100 prophecies that will take place before the year 2000. Not one of them came to pass. You say, well, what did Salem Kerbin do? He sold a bunch of books. He's probably living in Tahiti this morning, um, uh, enjoying, enjoying himself until the judgment seat. But anyway, I want to show you from the Bible why men believe that they can set a date for the coming of the Lord or for the rapture of the church and why at this present hour 
Every one of those people has tried their best to get rid of the books, tapes, sermons, and magazine articles in which those predictions were published because it is no longer possible to get a rapture and or a second coming of Jesus Christ prior to the year 2000. It just can't be done. And listen, some great men who we would consider to be on our side have fallen into this trap just as surely as some of the wackos have fallen into this trap. And uh, so let's start in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse number 1. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That's a very uh, significant statement there. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That verse is a great proof for the fact that Jesus Christ is not only, uh, not only is he not through with his dealings with the nation of Israel, but that the book of Revelation must come to pass literally as it is written because uh, there is still a part of the wall of that city that was never torn down or never thrown down. Jesus said they'd all be torn down, they'd all be thrown down, so uh, terrible times are yet in the future for Jerusalem. But notice verse 3, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Let's pray. Father, Guide us and direct us this morning, we ask, in the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Disciples of the Lord have always had a strange curiosity about when the coming of the Lord will take place. They have always had a peculiar fascination with what signs will accompany your coming. Now, what grieves the Lord about that, what troubles Jesus Christ about that is the fact that we should be excitedly anticipating and looking for his coming every single day. Why look for a sign when you could look for the Savior? Why try to set a date when you could be excited today? And when a man sets a date, what he does is he rules out all other dates. When a man sets a time in the future for the coming of the Lord, he rules out the present possibility for the coming of the Lord, and the result is a loss of zeal, a loss of activity, a loss of enthusiasm on his part and on the part of all those who believe him. So Jesus never told you when he was coming, and he never gave any sign to his church for the coming of the Lord. In fact, rather than answer the question, he discourages inquiry. Watch, verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, shall kill you, ye shall be hated of all nations. For my name's sake, many shall be offended, shall betray one another, shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise, deceive many, because the iniquity of many shall abound. Iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, 
Do you know what he said in answer to that question? He said, persecution, false Christs, false prophets, false teachings, wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, and distress of nations, none of those things were an indication that the coming of the Lord was at hand. Those things are simply an indication that men are living in sin. So anything and everything that you or I have ever read that seeks to date the coming of the Lord on the basis of something that's happening in the earth has been false because it is based upon the, upon the false premise that you can look at something going on in the world and base the times on that. Jesus did not tell them when. He did not tell them what the signs would be. He simply said, don't be deceived by any man that points to these things as proof that you're in the end of the world. So you know who doesn't heed that warning? 95% of professing Christians. Oh, did you see this in the newspaper? Oh, did you hear this? Oh, did you hear this sermon? Oh, did you hear about that computer chip? Oh, did you hear about that, uh, that uh, uh, R code that you're using on the groceries now? Oh, did you hear about that computer in Brussels, Belgium? Oh, did you hear what Oral Roberts said? Oh, did you hear what the Pope did? Yeah, you know what that means? That means people are sinners. That's what it means. Does it mean Jesus Christ is coming today? No, Jesus Christ could come today because he said he was coming again. The Lord is not going to come and bail man out of a bad situation. People always interpret the second coming of the Lord based on the fact that trouble's getting a little too close to my home. Christians in America are sure we're living in the last days because gas is up over $1.30 a gallon for the cheap stuff. Christians in America are sure we're in the last days because public school kids are wearing nose rings and going to school half-naked. They've been dressing like that in Africa for 6,000 years, and Jesus hadn't come yet. What does that mean? It simply means that America is going down the same moral sewer that the heathen uh, nations went down a long time ago. Does that mean the Lord's coming again? No, it doesn't. It just means you're going to have to strengthen your resolve if you're going to stand for the Lord until the end. That's what that means. Verse number 35 of Matthew 24. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away, but of that day, the day they asked about, and that hour, the hour they asked about, knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, here's the standard way of resting that verse to your own destruction. We don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the year and the month. What did they ask Jesus in verse 3? When shall these things be? What did they ask Jesus in verse 3? What is the sign of your coming? What did Jesus answer in verse 36? He is not giving that information to any man. Don't take the answer away from the context of the question. The question is when. The answer is I'm not telling you. The question is what's the sign? The answer is I'm not telling you. Why? The Lord wants you ready today. The Lord wants you excited today. The Lord wants you anticipating today. Turn your Bible to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. 
and verse number 3. Here's another great verse. Start at verse 2. Answer and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Now, those two verses are used to prove that Jesus said, if we had discernment, we could tell the signs of the times and we could know when the end would be. Again, in order to be different and distinctive, let's read the context. Verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. These people didn't want to live for the Lord. They didn't want to glorify God. They wanted to tempt him. Verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there should no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. You know what the Lord said? If you're living clean, if you're living right, if you're living true, if you're living pure, you don't need to know when I'm coming. And if you're, if you're living dirty and living wicked and living unclean and doing things you shouldn't be doing, I can understand why you want to know when I'm coming back. And the fact that men in our day and age are seeking signs so they can date the coming of the Lord is an evidence that they don't want to have to get right with God any sooner than necessary or they don't want to have to keep living right any longer than, it, than is necessary. Well, if he's not coming for 20 years, I mean, I got 19 years to live it up. Or if he's not coming for 20 years, there's no way I can, I can keep this up for 20 years, but I'll get right before he comes. What if you just loved the Lord you didn't want to commit spiritual adultery and you didn't want to get wrapped up in the things of the world and you just said, bless God, he might come today. I sure want to stay clean. That would result in a life day in and day out that was pleasing to the Lord. Now, uh, no, no verse in the Bible has been stretched any more than 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's take a look at it. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now I'll give you the layout because it's very interesting. And there is quite a bit of, uh, of Bible to line up with or to support this idea. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 8. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 8. The Bible says here, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What did I, what did I say? First Peter? Yeah, Second Peter 3.8. Did I say First Peter? Okay, 2 Peter 3, 8. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and verse number 1. Revelation 20, verse number 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Cast him in the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him. He should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. 
I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. was given unto them. I saw the souls of them were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark in the forehead of their hands. They lived in the reign of Christ a thousand years. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So, if one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and the church is going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, maybe that thousand years matches the millennial day. Well, let's go back and see what we can what we can come up with. According to Bishop Unger's chronology, or Bishop Usher's chronology, he took the Old Testament and he tried to get all the dates of births and deaths and years and lifespan and so on and so forth. And he concluded that creation took place 4,000 years, I'm sorry, 4,004 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was actually born in 4 A.D. That is, four years after the year of our Lord's birth, our Lord was born. Doesn't quite exactly match up, but you don't have to quite exactly match up. You're trying to come up with something exciting. And so based on that, we go creation to, 1, 000, to year 1,000, to year 2,000, to the year 3,000, to the year 4,000, and we get the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, that's pretty good. Not only that, if you look in Genesis chapter number 1, you will find out that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He did some things on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. On the fourth day, he made the sun. By the way, on the third day, he made the plants, which is a real blow to the theistic evolutionist who said each of these days represents several hundred million years because it's pretty tough for plants to live several hundred million years without any sunlight. And so God, to make sure he didn't make that mistake, made the plants on the third day and the sun on the fourth day. Watch how this thing works out. The sunlight on day four made it possible for God to create life on day five and six. So, it's an easy step to say Jesus came into the world on the, on the, uh, at the start of the fourth day, and that made it possible for the Lord to give life everlasting on the fifth and the sixth days. At the end of that sixth day, at the end of 6,000 years, Jesus Christ will set up the millennial day, the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. That's all a nice, neat package. There's only a couple of problems with that. It's now 1999. Men were dating the rapture at 1993, some 1989, to make up for this mystical four-year period. 88 and 89 were the big push, folks. Not just the Pentecostal crowd, our crowd was pushing for that year. It didn't work, so they said, well, you know that four years, I guess that old usher guy, I guess he was wrong, he didn't know what he was talking about. It's going to be 1993, which came and went. And so you know what happened? A bunch of guys that had preached against it for years suddenly became mid-trib. 
and said the church is going to go through the first half of the tribulation and the rapture will be in the middle, probably the fall of 1997. I guess now we've got to be post-trib. And folks, the good news is we're already through six years of the tribulation. It wasn't near as bad as I expected it would be. Now, you see what happens when you set a date that the Bible didn't set for you? You get in trouble. So the last resort is that some pope somewhere altered the calendar, and so the year 2000, we really don't know when the year 2000 is. Our dates are right. It's just that the calendars were wrong. Well, then refund the money of everybody that brought, bought your book based upon this calendar. If you knew the calendar was wrong, why did you print a book based on the calendar we got right now? You know why I wouldn't set a date based on the calendar? Because the calendar we operate on is one of several in operation in the world today. There's a Chinese calendar, and it's not 1999 on the Chinese calendar. There's an Egyptian calendar. It's not 1999 on the Egyptian calendar. There's a Hebrew calendar, and it's not 1999 on the Hebrew calendar. And if I was going to date the coming of the Lord, the last place I would go to date that coming would be a Roman calendar. You imagine the Lord subjecting the greatest event in history, his second coming, subjecting that to a Roman calendar? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, I'll show you some more verses in a minute, but let me give you some, uh, some prophecies here. Uh, this, this was printed in the 1970s as we passed the cosmic border from Pisces to Aquarius and the fifth dimensions, things in the background. Our own, I added that. <laughs> Our own tumultuous age has been foreseen as one of materialistic degeneration and maximum destruction, especially at its beginning, which is now. This general tradition has perhaps been colored by many of the world's ancient as well as fairly recent prophets. You know why you can pass that off on people? Because they don't read. If you read Dickens' literature from 1800, he was deploring the materialism of his day. If you read the Founding Fathers' writings from 1700, 1600, they were deploring the materialism. Every age has been more materialistic than the age before it because you had more people producing more materials to get your hands on. Nostradamus. Who's heard of Nostradamus? Oh, yeah, he's the great prophet. 16th century French prophet of Jewish descent abandoned his usually, un, his usually vague and veiled references for a precise date when he stated, the year 1999, month 7, from the sky shall come the great king of terror. Well, let's see, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. I guess we missed it. Or I guess we can throw everything Nostradamus said in the trash can. All profit. Those of us still alive in 1999 will be able to judge the perceptiveness of Nostradamus' most precisely dated prophecy. And we've just judged it. He's a liar. Edgar Cayce, perhaps the most famous of modern prophets, because of his remarkable record of verification. <laughs> you should check the record of verification. He's a... Uh, has sketched and transcribed dreams a time of imminent future catastrophe. The sliding of Japan into the Pacific Ocean. Earthquakes that will destroy California. 
the permanent inundation of coastal cities throughout the world, the reappearance of new lands and ancient continents thrust up from the ocean floor. While predicated within our present time frame, the start of his chain of catastrophic events will be recognized by the renewed volcanic activity of Mount Etna. All of this will take place before the turn of the millennium. So Edgar Cayce didn't have any more sense than Nostradamus did. Unless in the next three months, California and Japan fall into the ocean and Atlantis resurfaces. Time's ticking on Edgar Cayce. If that doesn't happen by the year 2000, take all the Edgar Cayce books in the health food store and throw them in the garbage. He's a false prophet and a liar. Religious prophecies of final end of the world or civilization are frequently predicated on other events. Prophets looking to the headlines to see when Armageddon will occur. Speaking from several thousands of years ago, their voices seem to ring with the accent of today's political commentators as they prophesy in the Old Testament of the coming of Messiah and the final war that ends the New Testament period. But from the world's other religions come indications of doom within our own end of Pisces time frame. Tibetan Buddhist prophecies that Tibetan Buddhism would end after the 13th Dalai Lama would be dethroned, and he has been, and that the general Buddhist prophecy that Buddhism would last for 2,500 years, a period ending around 1990, both agree that the final world period will be at hand for the coming of the future Buddha, Maitreya. If you want to read about Maitreya, you can go down to the uh, uh, Merlin's Vision, and ask them, and they will give you all kinds of literature about Lord Maitreya. There's only one problem. The religion that gave you Lord Maitreya said the cycle of Buddhism would end with the death of the 13th Dalai Lama, and he died almost 20 years ago. Well, then why are you still pushing Buddhism? The end of the ages of Buddha were to end round about 1990, that was a decade ago, and they're still out peddling flowers on the street corner. They're just not wearing the orange robes anymore. Meaning what? Meaning Buddha, if he ever did say anything, was a false prophet. And meaning all those who follow him are blind leaders of the blind because he didn't know what he was talking about. So next time some Harry Krishna fellow dances around you with his tambourine, tell him hit the road. An unexpected prophetic, unexpected prophetic development occurred in the case of the Islamic prophecy that Islam would last until man set foot on the moon. Now, those of you who don't believe man's been there yet, you may still hold out some hope for Muhammad, but <laughs> a hyperbole signifying an indefinite period, but which caused consternation in conservative Islamic circles when Armstrong and Aldrin finally did so. <laughs> Islamic traditionalists, however, have argued that the astronauts did not land on the real moon, but on a different moon than the one Muhammad was talking about. Sounds like a fundamentalist, doesn't it? They'd make good Baptists. Yeah, they didn't land on the one with the green cheese. The pyramid prophecies. I won't go into all that. You can get the Zechariah book back there in the back. Anyway, the Great Pyramid, uh, supposedly, according to... Uh, what was the guy's name that started the religion? Smith. I can't remember his first name. I'll find it here in a minute. Anyway, the, uh, the decline of the world was supposed to have started in 1965, and according to the Great Pyramid, it would end with the coming of the world ruler in the year 2001. 
They might make it, but you'll have to throw out the doctrine of the rapture if uh, the Great Pyramid is going to be trusted for prophetic teaching. What's amazing is the number of, uh, of fundamental Baptist preachers that preach the Great Pyramid as a sign for, by which to interpret the Bible. You imagine interpreting the Bible on the basis of an Egyptian monument? You imagine that? I mean, knowing what the Bible says about Egypt, uh, imagine how backward that is. The ancient Aztec age cycles, as well as the probably connected Hopi cyclic age, uh, both uh, predict the end of the world at the end of, of uh, 6,000 years from creation or our year 2000 when the sun will explode. Hindu tradition expressed in the Puranas also foretells the possible annihilation of the human race at the end of the fourth Kali Yuga. Uh, Kali is the goddess of destruction and that present age is set to draw to a close in 2000 AD. According to British astronomers, some of you remember this one, John Gribben and Stephen Plagman, the Jupiter effect in 1974 would not only bring about catastrophic changes in the earth, but a more dangerous condition will exist in May 2000 if any of us are alive to observe it. In May of 2000, Mercury, Mars, and Earth will be in direct uh, alignment with the huge planets of Saturn and Jupiter as well as Pluto and the Earth's moon. Venus will also be close to Mercury. The effect will be powerful earthquakes that will disturb the Earth's rotation causing it to wobble on its axis and will bring about a magnetic reversal of its poles. I tell you what, gravity must work better than we thought it did. I didn't feel a thing, did you? The whole earth flip-flopped back in May and nobody even knew about it. Either that or the Jupiter effect was just another sucker trap for Christians. <laughs> Send us $29.95 and we'll give you the latest prophetic information that we got from the bookshop and put a couple of verses in. Well, let's see what else we got. Uh, the Babylonian astrologer historian Barosus said uh, 2,300 years ago that this alignment of the planets would spell the end of the world. Charles, Charles Piazzi Smith, I'm sorry, he was the Astronomer Royal of Scotland. He wrote the book about the Great Pyramids, and he said that creation took place September 22nd, 4000 B.C., and the creation would end September 17th, 2001. All right, let's look at some Bible verses. Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter number 3. There's some real interesting biblical material on this thousand-year uh, day thing, and it's, it's well worth looking at. I enjoy it myself. Hosea chapter 3 and verse number 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim. Now that's been true... That's been true since they crucified their Messiah and their temple was destroyed. Afterward, all right, after these many days, shall the children of Israel return, seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. All right, let's see if we can pin this down. Chapter 5, verse 15. When will the children of Israel return to their God? 5, 15. 
I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. There's the Israelite nation getting right during the tribulation. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, he will heal us, he hath smitten, he will bind us up. When? After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord is going forth. And he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So what happens? Jesus Christ is crucified. The Jews abide many days without a right relationship to God. In the latter days, they repent and get right with the Lord. And the Lord reestablishes the nation of Israel. When will that take place according to Hosea? After one day, two days... The Lord will raise them up, and the third day they will live in His sight. Now you see how that matches? That day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. They've been two years out of a right relationship with God. The end, uh, two, uh, two days, at the end of the second day, He'll raise them up, and they'll live together with Him in the third day. I don't have any problem with that at all. Trouble is, you can't date the coming of the Lord. Why? Because he didn't tell you when he was coming. Let me give you the great, the great um, foundation of sand upon which all these prophecies are built. Number one, the great the seven-year tribulation begins with the rapture of the church. Nowhere is that stated in the Bible. All the Bible tells you is the rapture of the church will precede the seven-year tribulation. It could precede it by 500 years and not one verse of Scripture be violated. Now, I didn't say it wouldn't. But for me to argue the tribulation begins with the rapture, I would have to argue from logic or from reasoning. I could not argue from Scripture because the Scripture doesn't say that. All right, let me, uh, let me show you another one here. Come to Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 9. You say, Brother James, you seem to be teaching this thousand years as a day, ending in, in uh, 2000 A.D., but then you're telling us not to believe the Lord's coming before 2008. That's right, I'm just being honest with you. I am showing you where these ideas come from, and I'm showing you how interesting and intriguing these things are as they're set forth in the Bible. But then I am pointing out to you how that, that you cannot risk your testimony and your reputation as a preacher of truth by setting a date because the Lord has not given you a date for His coming. Now, look at this. Luke chapter 9, we're dealing with the transfiguration. That's when the Lord was seen by three of his disciples in his kingdom glory. When did this happen? Verse 28, Luke 9. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings. All right, about eight days after Jesus said certain things, he was revealed in his kingdom glory. Look in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And verse 1, he said to them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days. So, 
The Lord is going to be revealed on that mountain when? About eight days after six days, that would leave you with what day for the revelation of the Lord and His kingdom glory? The seventh day. Now what did God do in Genesis? He created the basis upon which life was to function the first four days. Then he created life on the fifth and sixth days. He rested on the seventh day. For 4,000 years, God through the Old Testament laid the foundation upon which life, human life, would be built and would be established. And for the last 2,000 years, he has been giving men that life. The seventh day, the millennial day, he's going to rest. There is scriptural, re there are scriptural reasons for believing in a layout like this one. There are no scriptural reasons for taking this and going beyond the scripture and setting a date for the coming of the Lord. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple more here. I'll try and go, try and go through these quickly. Um, another seer in the Middle Ages who lived before Nostradamus was known in history as Mother Shipton. Any of you ever heard of her out of England, Mother Shipton? Uh, she apparently had an unusual ability to foretell developments in countries that had not yet been mapped by Europeans. She predicted the uh, discovery of potatoes and tobacco and their importation into Europe. As to the catastrophic ending of the world, she placed it 400 years after her time. Listen to this rhyme. This is from one of her prophecies. When women dress like men and trousers wear and cut off all their locks of hair, when pictures look alive with movements free, when ships like fishes swim beneath the sea, when men outstripping birds can soar the sky, then half the world, deep drenched in blood, shall die. That's pretty interesting, isn't it, for somebody living in 1600. She claimed, however, that the world would end in 1981. Meaning what? Meaning she may have got some generalities that came to pass relatively close, but she missed the date, therefore she is a false prophet. We must disregard her prophecies and stay with the Bible. Now here's the great thing about the Word of God. More prophecies in this book than any other book that have ever been written detailed dates, names, places, events, activities, circumstances. Not one has ever failed to come to pass exactly as it was written. Now, with all those prophecies that have stood the test of time, why should we go outside the Bible and start making our own prophecies? We're only going to be embarrassed. Um, the popes have, have taken a shot at this thing. Uh, St. Malachi, an Irish monk, became the Archbishop of Armagh. He set forth a roster of future popes. According to his description, uh, Pope Pius XI, after Pope Pius XI, there were to be six more popes. After him would be Peter the Roman, who would be the Antichrist. Under him, the city on seven hills would be destroyed, and he would judge his people. St. Malachi died in 1148. His prophecies were published in 1595 after they were found in the Vatican archives, probably with the Vaticanus and Sinaitic manuscripts and other junk. Since then, they have often been referred to and their influence may have contributed to a vision that Pope Pius X had, who, according to St. Malachi, was the eighth from the last pope. In 1909, he was holding an audience. He fell into a trance. 
When he recovered, he said, what I see is terrifying. Will it be myself? If it is not I, it will be my successor. And the Pope left Rome and left the Vatican and he said, the next Pope to leave Rome will have to walk over the dead bodies of his priests. All will be in ruins. So what does that mean? That means the Pope and Nostradamus and Edgar Cayce and Mother Shipton were all possessed by the same unclean spirit. They all got it wrong. Buddhist tradition I told you about, uh, the Hindu mythology says that um, after the fish, the tortoise, the boar, the man lion, and the dwarf would come Rama, the axe, Krishna, then Buddha, and that Buddha would appear as Kalki on a white horse to destroy the present world order and take humanity to a higher plane, and that would take place at the end of a cycle of 6,000 years of human history. Now, I could, I could read you some more of these. I could read you the King of the World prophecy from South America. I could read to you about Shangri-La and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, what's fascinating about these, I got pages and pages of them, is how close they are to what the Bible says. Now, you know why that is? Because the devil will use a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, or a Baptist to discredit the Word of God if he can do it. And the best way to discredit the Word of God is give men something that is so close that they confuse it for the Word of God. And when the part that is false fails, then they have reason and justification to disregard what the Bible says. If you go back and read Genesis chapter 3, 75% of what the devil told Eve was the truth. Nine out of ten words devil said to Eve were what God had said to Eve. It just took one word out of ten to damn the whole human race. Lord tells you be ready. He said he's coming. He said he's coming soon. That's enough. That's all the Bible says. Leave it right there. Don't add to his words lest you be found a liar. Just leave it alone. Let me show you one more. Hebrews chapter 10. You know the rhyme, don't you? One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good children go to heaven. <laughs> go on the seventh day. Hebrews 10 and John chapter 16. Hebrews 10 and John chapter 16. You say, preacher, about 30 seconds, you're going to go past 12 noon. Well, that's all right. The Lord might come at 1 o'clock. Rather be here than feeding your face anyway, wouldn't you? Lord was coming again. If the Lord was coming again, it would change our way of thinking. If he was coming again. Hebrews 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. When's the Lord coming? In a little while. You know why... You know why the Lord has given children parents that frustrate them? Teach you the Bible. Dad, I thought you said we were going. Yeah, we were going. Well, when, Dad? In a little while. Dad, you said that this morning. Well, I know, but we're going a little while. Dad, you said that yesterday. Yeah, I know, we're going a little while. You know why the Lord lets dads do that? So you'll understand that Jesus' coming is in an hour when you think not. Not necessarily when you want it to be. It's when he gets around to it. That's... 
That's one of those things dads teach their kids. Anyway, he's coming in a little while. Look at John 16. John 16 and verse number 16. A little while. Ye shall not see me. That's the Lord going away. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of, among, of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to my Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he saith, A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew they were desirous to ask him and said to them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and ye shall not see me and again a little while and ye shall see me. Verily I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful and your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Now watch it. He's going away and he's coming back. When is he coming according to Hebrews 10? He's coming in a little while. When the disciples ask him about that, in the passage, a little while shows up seven times. You know, a day's not a long time, but a thousand years is a long time. When's the Lord coming? A little while, 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 and he's back seventh time, the seventh little while, and the Lord comes back. So, there's some Bible for it. But there's not enough Bible for you to say on May the 3rd, 1993, or on September the 6th, 1999, there's not enough Bible for you to, to even take a chance on that. Now, I'll tell you something else that's interesting. And we no way we can do this this morning. Maybe we'll do it in a couple of weeks if we get enough requests. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, yeah, in the Old Testament, there are a number of time periods that are marked off because they each run 430 years. But if you get the chronologies of the lives that were, that were being lived, he was born, he died, he lived so many years, during those time periods, you'll find out that some of them run upwards of 500 years. Some of them are, are 505 years, some of them are 515 years, and yet the Lord reckons them as periods of 430 years. And this is supposed to be a real great contradiction in the Bible. But here's what you do. If you go back to the book of Judges, you'll find Othniel, and he judged Israel so many years. Then the Philistines came in and chased the Israelites out for 35 years. And then God raised up Samson or whoever was next. He judged 40 years. And then You know what you'll find out? The years that a foreign power was in control of Jerusalem. God did not count those years when he was adding up the number of years that passed on his calendar. Let's suppose that's true. Let's suppose that God's interest is the Jew, not the Roman, not the Arab, not the Chinaman. You know what that means? From 70 A.D. to 1967 A.D., the clock was not running. If, 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 what, if what God based dates on in the Old Testament, he's still using today. He didn't turn a page on his calendar 
for almost 1,900 years. Say, preach, you believe the Lord could come today? Absolutely. So did Paul. You believe Jesus could come tomorrow? Absolutely. So did Peter. You believe Jesus could come before you preach another sermon? Absolutely. So did John. That was 2,000 years ago. Am I discouraged? No. The Lord doesn't lie. He said he's coming again. He's coming again. Are you excited about his coming? Absolutely, because he didn't say it wasn't today. And I'm not going to let any preacher of any denomination talk me out of believing that it might be today because he's figured out it's going to be a year from now. I'm looking for the Lord to come today. If all the computers fail on September the 9th, 1999, I'll still be looking for the Lord to come. And if no computers fail on September the 9th, 1999, I'll still be looking for the Lord to come because I haven't found a verse in the Bible yet that says His coming has anything to do with a computer. He's coming because He said He's coming. Amen and amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We pray, Lord God, that uh, You would use it in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, as our, as our brother Daniel mentioned, it could well be that someone here this morning has never, ever been born again. And if you did come today, they would be left behind, doomed without Jesus Christ. Father, would you convict that heart, save that soul, in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Hey, we'll be dismissed with that prayer because if you're here this morning and you're not saved and the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with you, you're going to take some man or some woman by the arm and say, I can't believe he didn't give an invitation this morning. I wanted to get saved. I guarantee you if the Holy Spirit of God has brought you under conviction of your sin, you will not leave this building until you get right. I beg you, I beg you, be saved. Be saved right now. Jesus is coming again. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.